Hello everybody and welcome to the Going Up Cash, a weekly feel-good podcast where this week we get another chapter of Peter and Wendy. I talk about some interesting discussions, I review another type of whiskey, and I let you guys know about a brand new album that's coming out. That's right, this week we get chapter three of Peter and Wendy. We only get one this week because this chapter is really long, so I basically was like, ah, that's good, we got the one. Uh, I talk about the live album that came out from the concert I went to Amsterdam to go see. Um, fucking god dang it, phone. Um, sorry, it vibrated on the table. Just leaving this one. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a live album um, of the concert I went to see in Amsterdam. Then I'll talk about that a little later on. I try the final Game of Thrones whiskey uh, that came out with the, uh, with the tie-in that happened there. And I think that's about... Oh, yeah. And um, we also talk about the, I know this is going to sound really interesting, but it's kind of cool, at least to me. Uh, We talk about the financial and economic viability of releasing new movies on digital-only platforms um, based on what came out with a Trolls World Tour and its relationship with Universal Studios. So, yeah, we, we talk about that a little bit. But if you enjoy the Going Up Cast and would like to support the Going Up Cast, there's only one way you can do that, really. Um, besides, like, telling people to listen to the podcast, which I hope you all do all the time because it's a real good podcast. I work hard on it. It's a good podcast. Uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash goingupcast uh, and become a $5 patron, which gives you access to the monthly live streams. Um, the one for May, I'm going to just say that uh, we have a date for that. Uh, the one for May is probably going to be... Ooh, let's go with... I mean, that would make a lot of sense, wouldn't it? Yeah, let's do it today. It's gonna be today on the fifth. That's when it's gonna be. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna remember. I'm gonna write that down here in a second. But we're gonna do it today. Um, because I haven't done it in a really long time, and I feel really bad about that. So we're gonna, we're gonna do it on the fifth. Um, the day this episode comes out, and uh, just you know, shoot the shiz and stuff like that. And if you want to watch it, well, I mean, you, you can become a patron watch it i guess would be would be the thing um it'll be later like today so you have like time i guess uh if you if you want to do that you can also follow us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash growing up cast or you can follow me on instagram at going up cast just for like general news and stuff but that's enough of me blithering on let's talk about some finances and some movies and stuff I saw an article the other day that I've been doing a lot of thinking about since I saw it. So I'm just going to give you the quick rundown. Universal Studios came out with a statement saying that they had made more money on Trolls World Tour um, in the first like three weeks of it being available on digital release than it made on Trolls in the first five months of Trolls being in theaters. And there's been quite a bit of discussion about this, actually. I've seen from um, movie theater owners who are saying, like, this isn't the new norm, uh, you know, everybody's at home with COVID, it's skewed, all these things. Um, I've got, I got a couple of, of, like, things that I think have influenced the increased amount of money. One, fair, everybody is at home. A lot of people are stuck at home with, like, full families, and having a new kids movie available to watch is pretty tempting. So, yes, you do basically have a captive audience of people not really having anything else to do. One of the major reasons why Tiger King, uh, like, sprung so readily on Netflix was because there was fucking nothing else to do. Two, the price for digital release is more than your average movie ticket. I believe it was $20 to buy digitally. While the average movie ticket hovers somewhere between $12 to $16, I believe. Um, depending on where you live and what kind of movie you're seeing. There is that. However, with the increased price of the rental, you also have to realize that most households have more than one person living in them. And that's all you need. Even if one other person watches Trolls World Tour with you, they you're saving money. Kind of, that's it. It's a little bit more than the price of a single movie ticket, right? You need one other person and you're saving money by doing this. Not even including concessions, the actual traveling to the movie theater. Like, and there is a financial cost to the time it takes in order for you to do these things as well. Not even including like gas and stuff. So you're saving money for sure. The company is making more money 
because it doesn't have to share its profits with the fucking movie theaters. It does have to share its profits with, in my case, Xfinity. If I wanted to watch this movie, you know, I, I would have a little bit of money would be going to Xfinity. But here's the fucking kicker. Comcast is the fucking parent company of Universal Studios. So it's all in the fucking house. It's a 100% profit machine. So they, of course they're making more money. They're not sharing it with anybody. It's different wings of the company, but it's all the same fucking company. This is like saying, like, if there was an ABC streaming service that it's sharing its, its money with Disney, you know? It's all owned by Disney. It's all Disney money. But in this case, it's all Comcast money. So it's 100% pure profit. If for, like, CenturyLink and stuff like that, when they, when they give it to other people, then sure. But Comcast is still the number one TV provider, at least in the state of Washington. So... Yeah, it's 100% pure profit. You have people at home with nothing else to do. You are charging a little bit more, but the families are saving money because all you need is one other person. And for the companies, the movie studios, and the studios, or the companies that own the movie studios, it is 100% pure profit. Plus, as a viewer, you get the ability to pause this movie, to rewind this movie, to watch it as many times as you want in that 24-hour period. Even if you're watching it by yourself, if you see it twice... You've saved money. The only companies that, like, the only people that are impacted by this are the people that work at a movie theater. And granted, there's a lot of people that work in a movie theater because they can't work literally anywhere else. And I understand that. But that's it. it. Those people are the only ones that are being negatively impacted by these movies coming out on digital. Now, the movie theater owner, that's like, this is not the new norm. I would be somewhat bummed out if movie theaters went away i have a lot of great memories of movie theaters movie theaters have been a part of at least american culture if not the grander culture of the world for over like for at least a hundred years ish the silver screen was like the 30s i don't know but they've been a thing for quite some time and until netflix came around there wasn't really a good alternative if you wanted to see a new movie you had to go to the theaters that was kind of your only thing, unless it was like straight to video, and most of those were trash. And then Netflix came around and showed the world that it was possible to make good content without having it to be in theaters. They proved that. And Netflix still makes tons of money off of this shit. So there's money to be made here, right? Uh, clearly, because Universal Studios is raking it in. And if you think about it from, like, they don't have to really market the movie with physical cardboard cutouts or posters. They don't even really need to advertise it on TV. All it needs to do is launch that shit on digital and be like, there's a brand new movie for you to watch. And then people will watch it. Because, as I've just demonstrated, they're saving money by seeing it this way. That's why things are becoming digital content. Like, physical game releases are starting to dwindle. People get their things digitally online because I don't have to go to GameStop at midnight in order to pick this shit up. I can just download it to my computer. I can usually play it a little earlier by doing that because of like East Coast, West Coast times and stuff like that. There's a lot of really good reasons for this style of brand new movie releases. And I think the the one that's going to be the um the oh what's the, what's the fucking term? Hold on, I needed to turn off my heat. The Canary in the Coal Mine, right? That's it. The The movie that'll be The Canary in the Coal Mine, but in a positive way from the movie studio's point of view, I guess, will be Artemis Fowl. Because Artemis Fowl was supposed to come out in theaters, but it is now being switched to being a Disney Plus original movie. Now, if Disney can claim a profit on Artemis Fowl, then I would not be surprised if, like, not maybe every movie... But if movie theaters went away, these movie studios will probably, in reality, make more money if Artemis Fowl makes a profit. So, how can Disney make a profit off of Artemis Fowl? One, new people subscribing to Disney+. Plus. I don't know how big the Artemis Fowl fan base is, but I'd be willing to bet that if you're a really big Artemis Fowl fan, you probably already have Disney+. Plus. Right? That's, that's where my head is at. Disney Plus does not have any ads on it, except for maybe other Disney movies, but I've never seen one. It's, it'll be really interesting. Artemis Fowl was an expensive movie to make because they were expecting uh, it to be released in theaters. Artemis Fowl's budget, according to Wikipedia, was a whopping $125 million. 
That doesn't sound like a lot in terms of today's movies, and to be fair, that is roughly as much as uh, Return of the King cost in terms of budget. But that's still a lot of money to regain. That's a lot of money to make. So it's going to be really interesting to see if it does well. Comes out in June, so we've got some time uh, for, for Disney to do it. I don't see people subscribing to Disney Plus to see this movie. But I think if Disney can claim a profit because of its solo Disney Plus release... It will be a 100% money-making machine just to Disney. It's all gonna be Disney's money. Just like how Trolls World Tour was all of Comcast's money. It was 100% profit. They did not have to share those funds with fucking anybody. So that's, that's one of the reasons why it made so much money so quickly. Was that it was not divvied up between itself and all of the movie theaters in the country. That's that's the that's the thing to think about. So yeah, I think from a business point of view, if I ran Disney or if I was head of Universal, I'd be looking at these numbers and being like, let's just do this forever. Because it benefits the company. It benefits the viewer. Like I said, all you need to do is see it twice or see it with anybody, one other person, and you've saved money on this transaction. Think about it. Like, if you go to a midnight premiere to see the Harry Potter movie, right? You're standing outside for two fucking hours, and then you see the movie, and it's like 4 a.m. by the time you go home. How much better would it have been if you knew at exactly midnight that movie went live on Netflix, and you get all your buddies over, and you get, you get like, some food, and you're all hanging out safe, indoors, warm, because I saw the last fucking Harry Potter movie caught in the rain, and I was out there for two hours, and it sucked. But you do all of that, the movie goes live on Netflix. You can pause it. You can rewind it. You can do all sorts of shit. And as long as you pay for that service, that movie is yours forever. Like the 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 freedom of how you can watch brand new movies is now in the palm of your hand. It's not like it's just gonna play without you being able to pause it. You can do that. You can control that shit. You can't do that in a movie theater. You don't have to sit through the fucking previews anymore. So yes, it would be sad and it would essentially, if this all works out the way I very easily can predict it going to, if they just release it on digital, there's so much money saved there. And there's so much money to be made there. And it's a better viewing experience for the people watching the movie. There's a lot of wins. And once Artemis Fowl comes out, then we can see if I'm right, basically. Um, but I think I'm right. If I know if I was in that position, I would most likely go this route. So many positives to come out of this. And you got people like me who have thoughts where it's like, I don't want to pay movie theater prices to see this movie, but I might get it on digital. Like, I didn't really want to see Trolls World Tour. I might, you know, I like having the convenience of not having to leave and just kind of click it. That's powerful stuff. One of the reasons why Amazon kicked off so well, because it's like, it's convenient. And if there's anything in this world that people love, it's convenience. Uber Eats, DoorDash, being able to consume media and sustenance and all these amazing things from the comfort of your own home. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. It's convenience. So, you know, just something, something interesting that, I, that I've been thinking about. And I've got a, a little bit of a, of a foundation in economic principles. So I like to talk about it every now and then because I don't get to stretch these muscles as often. So, that being said, I think if Artem's style came out of theaters, it probably would have bombed because... Who the fuck? I'm sure someone out there is like, yes, finally, it's been 19 years since the first book came out. But it's just kind of like, really? Really? This? This? All right. You know, I don't want to hate. I don't know anything about Artemis Fowl. I think he's a spy. Who the fuck? Apparently, described by its author as diehard with fairies. All right. You've got my interest. I'll watch it. I'll definitely watch it on Disney+. Plus. That's what I did with Onward. I did not want to spend money on Onward in theaters because I didn't think it looked very good and hey, it looks like it didn't. It sucked. But 
I will absolutely watch Artemis Fowl on Disney Plus because I don't have to spend extra money to see it. This is money I'm already spending on Disney Plus, and you're coming out with an exclusive movie that isn't gonna be anywhere else? Fuck yeah, I'll watch it. Who cares? Especially if it's like a fucking proper ass movie. You know what I mean? It's not dumbed down because it's going like straight to TV or anything like that. This shit was gonna come out in theaters. And in my head, it's like higher production, higher value, the special effects are gonna be really good, you know, like they put the money into it. And now it's just coming out in digital. So I'm gonna get a movie theater fucking experience movie just on my goddamn TV. Hell yeah, let's go. So that is kind of where I'm at with all this stuff. That's a long rant. I'm gonna stop there. I hope you found it interesting. Let's move on to the next thing. I cannot believe I haven't spoken about this yet um, because it's been out for weeks and I've listened to it like nine times, but I will talk about it now. So long ago, back in September, um, I went to Amsterdam to see a concert. Um, It was a band called Arion, A-Y-R-E-O-N, which is like a progressive metal band that uses lead singers from all over the fucking world of uh, prog metal and metal metal and super duper ultra awesome metal um anyway i went to see this concert and it was a live performance of my all-time favorite area on album into the electric castle which came out in 1997 um and the live album slash dvd combo has come out it is available to listen to um it is an incredible live performance i absolutely adore it i have the earbook which is um it's it's the album it's the dvd it's all this stuff and it also has like little background stories of production and uh having the narrator who's john delancey known for playing q on um, star trek the next generation and discord in my little pony friendship is magic um it is it's really good because while i love the original album the actual story of it isn't super clear with that narration um, in the original album, but in the live performance, I think John Delancey does an incredible job of weaving the tapestry of the story. You know who everybody is, you know what they're all about, you know kind of the whole point of the story. So instead of it playing like an album, like it does in the original version, this one plays more like um, like an audio movie, almost. It's um, it, it really does uh, a beat of a like cult B sci-fi movie from the 80s and it's really really good and the storytelling is really good and the performances are amazing and I have seen enough of the concert I haven't rewatched it uh, but I've seen enough of the concert to know that sadly they recorded the concert DVD on one of the two nights I wasn't there there were three there were three showings and I picked the I had a 33% chance of getting that son of a bitch right. If I had to guess, my money is on it was probably recorded that Sunday night because it, you know, in my head they had two performances beforehand to really get the groove of it. That makes the most sense to me. Or perhaps they wanted to capture the magic of the first performance. But whatever it was, it is not Saturday. That is not the concert that is shown on the DVD. Now, it might be snippets from all three nights. There is that potential, so perhaps in a song I can see myself, Um, but I haven't seen myself yet. So if you watch, um, the official album is called Electric Castle Live and Other Tales by Arion. If you watch the DVD and you see the crowd shot, look to the bottom right hand of your screen, um, about two people back from the front of the stage. I was really fucking close. So if I'm there, I'm gonna be there, right? That's that's my logic. So if you see me, super cool. Um, I haven't seen myself yet. I'm hopeful that I'm in there somewhere because I was fucking there. <laughs> and it's it's a really good album. I really wanted um to to make a point to talk about that one because I spent a lot of money and I flew a long way to see this concert performed live. It is my favorite concert I've ever seen performed live because no other concert has really meant as much to me as this one. It it really blew my expectations out of the water and made the entire trip worth it. So if you want to know what piece of music I believe to be so good that I will travel halfway around the world to see it, 
you can finally listen to it. Electric Castle Live and Other Tales by Arion. Now available on iTunes and Amazon Music and Spotify and all the other places. Or you can just buy the al- physical album. And, it, and depending on which format you buy it in, it'll be signed by the dude who wrote it. So, woohoo! Anyway, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. If you've been listening to this podcast for a little while, you know one of the things I like to do is drink whiskey. And this week, instead of a trio tasting, um, I have just the one, just the one whiskey. And this whiskey special, because I've never spent so much money on alcohol before. This bottle cost me 200 plus dollars. Um, and uh, I got it mostly because it's the last one. So... With Game of Thrones, um, they had a line of tie-in whiskeys made by a bunch of different distilleries like Oban and Singleton and uh, Logvillain and Dalwini and stuff like that, all owned by the same parent company of Diego. Sure. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that right. Anyway, they had a bunch of them. Um, And I had the Night's Watch whiskey, which was made by Oban um, last December for a Christmas present to myself. And it was very good. And this is the final in the line. This is the Six Kingdoms Whiskey. It is a gold um, box that has the Three-Eyed Raven all over it. And it is a 15-year whiskey finished in ex-bourbon casks. It's mostly sherry casks to begin with. And then it's finished off in bourbon casks. It's made by Mortlock Distilleries, um, who I've never heard about before. And it is, it's the final Game of Thrones whiskey that we know of. I mean, they might come out with something with um, the next Game of Thrones show, which I believe is about the Targaryens. Um, but who the fuck knows when that's going to happen with the ongoing situation. So yeah, it's a 15 year, which um, if you know my whiskey preferences is right around the, the age that I prefer my whiskeys to be. Um, I like them to be between, you know, like like 20 plus year old whiskey tends to be a little sharper in alcohol um, that I prefer. The Night's Watch whiskey from Oban was a 14 year. Um, if I'm remembering that correctly, I'm pretty sure it was a 14 year. And uh, this is a 15 year. So, you know, a little pricier. Um, I've never heard of Mortlock. Perhaps they're a bit more um, specialty than, uh, than some of the other ones. I've yet to actually do the fucking research on it. But I've got it. So I thought I would do a little bit of a, of a taster. Like I said, it's predominantly aged in sherry casks and finished in bourbon. Um, the tasting notes are right in my wheelhouse. Um, they are. It's supposed to have like a fruity note. It's supposed to have like vanilla notes, kind of like sweet and light, That those sorts of things. So of course, what we're gonna do, un, unlike previous tastings, I have the bottle in front of me um, because I didn't know how much I was going to drink of this. And I didn't want to like overcommit because I don't want to like get drunk. I just want to, I legitimately just want to do a tasting of this on tonight. So I'm just going to, you ready? You ready for this? You ready for the cork sound? There we go. Perfect. First thing we do is we get the schnifter. Yeah, it smells sweet. It smells like whiskey. It actually reminds me a lot of the scent of the Caribbean cask. Yes, it smells very good. All right. And the bottle itself is pretty simplistic. It's a, you know, clear glass bottle. It's got the Golden Raven on it. Um, Like, there's nothing really about the packaging besides the Game of Thrones name that makes it worth so much money. Um, So I'm going to, you know, let's just, let's find out. My palate has been cleansed. I'm not trying any other whiskeys tonight. So let's go. Wow. It hits you right away with like sweetness it's um it's almost like um not like syrup but you know it does taste like like a like a sherry wood where it has this this incredible level of sweetness getting some of the vanilla i need a little bit more it's mostly alcohol in that one hold on yeah Definitely some of the vanilla. A little bit of a honey note. Definitely um, a little uh, a little more aggressive with the alcohol than what I'm used to, but, but that could be because of the vessel. Unlike like water or milk 
or anything like that. The ve- the serving vessel actually does play a role in alcohol because of reasons. I don't actually know. But depending on how you drink the booze, it actually does make a difference on how it tastes. Um, I know there are a couple of places that recommend you... Um, you know, if it's on the rocks and stuff like that, sometimes the dilution of the water helps the flavor of the whiskey. I know my dad, um, when he drinks whiskey, if it isn't on the rocks, what he'll do is he will get it straight and then add a couple of droplets of water from like his water glass just to help kind of thin it out and to um, promote more flavor. Um, I think that's why he does it. I've never actually asked, but I know he does something with water. Um, but this is a very good tasting whiskey. It is, I don't think it's worth the price. It's hard to justify a $200 for, for alcohol, in my opinion. Um, there are some incredible drinks and incredible whiskeys. But I do not believe you need to pay out the ass in order to have really good, high quality stuff. You know, um, especially with alcohol. Like, sure, there's some ingredients that are really fancy and really luxurious, like lobster and stuff like that um, for cooking or truffle, you know. there are there's, there's a price tag for some stuff, but more often than not, it's because of rarity or something like that. Um, with whiskey, um, you know, I don't know enough about the, the distilling process to really say for one way or the other, but I will say that the Mortlock uh, Whiskey Game of Thrones is very, very good. It's very light. If you like the Belvini, if you like the Glen Meringue, if you enjoy the Glen Levitt Caribbean Reserve or any of the other whiskeys I've ever talked about on this podcast, this fits in with those very nicely. It is absolutely in my flavor wheelhouse and it is it is quite tasty. Um, and I do love the, the, the merchandising of the Game of Thrones whiskeys because it's like... You know, when I was younger and I'd watch Harry Potter and stuff like that, I'd have like the Legos and the the talking Norbert doll, um, which I think is still in a box somewhere. And as I got older, my desire for for swag from things changed. You know, most of the things I have that relate to nerdy stuff is practical. For example, I'm drinking tea out of a Disneyland mug. I am currently wearing a Borderlands 3 shirt. Those sorts of things. Um, my mouse pad is the Travis Willingham's Yeehaw Game Ranch mouse pad. Like, everything I have that relates to something nerdy has a practical use behind it. So when Game of Thrones, which to this day I still maintain is one of the best television shows ever. First four seasons. Um, even season five a little bit and then snippets here and there for the rest of it. But you cannot deny that Game of Thrones, those first four seasons, had an Un, like paralleled impact on culture it was incredible this show changed the game for television and it has a, it, well if it stuck the landing we would never stop talking about it but because season 8 sucked nobody ever talks about it anymore <laughs> so it's it's kind of sad but it did give me some pretty good whiskey and I was a big fan of the Night's Watch whiskey I would buy that again if you could ever find it but you can't because it's gone they made it once and it's gone forever so, unlike a lot of these other things that I listed, you could argue that the Game of Thrones whiskey are pretty collectible. But the problem is, the show sucked. So, <laughs> all these people who bought all these whiskeys in the hopes that they would be able to resell them when the show was over, like five years down the road, that's all gone. Because season eight sucked and it ruined all the goodwill that the show could ever have. Um, and it's quite unfortunate. But, since this is the last one, this, this actually came out after season eight was finished which is stunning to me that they decided to do it this actually came out last december um yeah you could potentially still find a bottle of this stuff um i know when i um got it from total wine they had four bottles left after this one but i think they only ever had like 10 bottles so it's possible to still find it somewhere um like i said it's very expensive uh but it is quite good so you know if you got the cash go for it I guess um, but there are absolutely cheaper whiskeys that in my opinion are just as good if not slightly better like the Belvini Caribbean cask which even though this whiskey is fantastic the Belvini still comes out on top because it's it is my standard it's going to take something amazing to knock Belvini off the top spot 
I don't know what that whiskey would have to do, but it would have to make me go sip and go, oh my god, this is the greatest thing I've ever tasted. That's pretty much what would have to happen to, to Belvini in order for that to lose, lose top dog. So, I don't know what it's going to take, but maybe we'll find something someday. If you have any whiskey recommendations, I haven't done this yet. If you have any whiskey or drink recommendations, Laura knows my liver likes all things. Um, hit me up. Send me an email at goingcast.gmail.com uh, with a recommendation. Um, I could even try to make my own cocktail. I have all the supplies, um, except for like bitters and ingredients and stuff like that. So if you have any drink that I can make with just whiskey <laughs> or any kind of tequila and lime-based concoction, you let me know. You let me know. I will uh, I will happily chow down on that. Maybe I should do a, a tasting of my all-time favorite cocktail. So, Or maybe what I should do is I should start branching out the other direction. Like, here's a bunch of really cheap shit, like, airplane bottles I found. Let's see how rancid this stuff is. Could do that. Um, I prefer to drink good stuff, but if you guys want me to drink shit, I'll drink shit. You know, we can, we can explore that, explore that space. Anyway, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. It's also my Friday night, so I'm not particularly concerned about it. I've got a little bit of a evening fuel. This is the Glenlivet Caribbean Reserve. I chose this one because it is essentially dessert whiskey, and um, it's late at night, so I thought it was fitting. Anyway, chapter three. Come away. Come away. For a moment after Mr. and Mrs. Darling left the house, uh, the nightlights by the bed of the three children's continued to burn clearly. They were awfully nice little nightlights, and one cannot help wishing that they could have kept awake to see Peter, but Wendy's light blinked and gave such a yawn that the other two yawned also, and before they could close their mouths, all three went out. There was another light in the room now, a thousand times brighter than the nightlights. And in the time we have taken to say this, it has been in all the drawers in the nursery looking for Peter's shadow, rummaging, rummaged the wardrobe, and turned every pocket inside out, page 35. It was not really a light. It made this light by flashing about so quickly. But when it came to rest for a second, you, could, you saw it was a fairy, no longer than your hand, but still growing. It was a girl called Tinkerbell, exquisitely gowned in a skeleton leaf cut low and square, through which her figure could be seen to the best advantage. <sighs> she was slightly inclined. She was slightly inclined to Ebon Point. Ebon Point to Ebon Point. I'm not I think I'm familiar with that term, but it's been a minute. Ebon Point. I should probably turn cap lock off. Um. Embon point. Um, do 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 do. Plumpness or stoutness is what that is. Um, she was slightly inclined to Embon point, so she is plump and/or stout. Anyway, a moment. Oh fuck! I need to come up with a voice for Peter Pan. Okay, a moment after the fairy's entrance, the window was blown open by the breathing of the little stars, and Peter dropped in. He had carried Tinkerbell part of the way, and his hand was still messy with fairy dust. Um. I mean, I know what he sounds like in the movie. Um, I'm not even going to try for an evocation of that because it's such a... Come on, everybody! Here we go! That's actually... Yeah, sure, I can do that. Tinkerbell, he called softly after making sure the children were sing. Tink, where are you? She was in, like, just, like, over the top. It'll be great. You'll see. She was in a jug for the moment and liking it extremely. She had never been in a jug before. I'm not sure if I mentioned it before. I may have just thought it. But this book and um, Winnie the Pooh and Alice in Wonderland all have this very similar style for writing where there's like a, a, a simple charm and joy to what the characters are going through. She was in a jar. She'd never been in a jar before. It's, it's kind of like, oh, wow. Just this kind of um, youthful uh, innocence to, to the writing. And it makes these books just such a joy to read, um, especially when I say things like fuck and stuff like that just thrown in, like um, sprinklings on a donut. 
Oh, do come out of that jug and tell me, do you know where they put my shadow? The loveliest tinkle as of golden bells, Anstrom. It's the fairy language. You ordinary children can never hear it, but if you were to, Paired Flirt Sucks, hear it, you would know that you had heard it once before. Interesting. Tink said that the shadow was in the big box. She bent the chest of drawers, and Peter jumped at the drawers, scattering their contents to the floor with both hands as kings toss haypence to the crowd. In a moment, he had recovered his shadow, and in his delight, he forgot that he had shut Tinkerbell up in a drawer. If he thought at all, but I don't believe he ever thought, it was that he and his shadow, when brought near each other, would join like drops of water, and when they did not, he was appalled. He tried to stick it on with soap from the bathroom, but that also failed. Of course it did. It was soap, you idiot. Soap breaks things apart. It does not bring things together. A shudder passed through Peter, and he sat on the floor and cried. His sobs woke Wendy. She sat up in bed. She was not alarmed to see a stranger crying on the nursery floor. She was only pleasantly interested. What the fuck is wrong with you, Wendy? You should be way more concerned about the fact that there's a stranger in your house, and he's crying in the middle of your fucking floor while holding a goddamn shadow, and you just go, Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> what have I woken up into? Let's, let's investigate. Boy, she said courteously, Why are you crying? Peter could be exceedingly polite also. Having, per third of seven, learned the grand manner at fairy ceremonies, and he rose and bowed to her beautifully. She was much pleased, and bowed beautifully to him from the bed. What's your name? he asked. Wendy Moira Angela Darling, she replied with some satisfaction. What's your name? Peter Pan. She was already sure that it must be Peter, but he did seem a comparatively short name. Is that all? Yes, he said sharply. He felt for the first time that it was a shortish name. I'm so sorry, said Wendy Moira Angela. Doesn't matter, said Peter. I'm going to make Peter sound like Voldemort. I'm going to give him that like smooth talking villain voice because I think it's going to lean into the horror of this just a bit more. And I think that's going to be really fun. Um, She asked where he lived. Second to the right, said Peter, and then straight on till morning. What a funny address. Peter had a sinking. Should probably get that checked out. For the first time, he felt that perhaps it was a funny address. No, it isn't, he said. I mean, Wendy said nicely, remembering that she was hostess. Is that what they put on the lettuce? Purge flurry. She, he wished. Um, she had not mentioned letters. Don't get any letters, he said contemptuously. But your mother gets letters. Don't have a mother, he said. Not only had he had no mother, but he had not the slightest desire to have one. He thought them very overrated persons. Wendy, however, felt that at once that she was in the presence of a tragedy. Oh, Peter, no wonder you're crying, she said, and she got out of bed and ran to him. I wasn't crying about mothers, he said rather indignantly. I was crying because I can't get my shadow to stick on. Besides, I wasn't crying. It has come off? Yes. Wendy saw the shadow on the floor looking so draggled she was frightfully sorry for Peter. How awful, she said. But she couldn't help smiling when she saw that he had been trying to stick it on with soap. How exactly like a boy. Fortunately, she knew what um, she knew at once what to do. Page 39. It must be sewn on, she said. Just a little patronizingly. Apparently patronizingly isn't a word, according to the word here. Anyway. Once sewn, he asked. You're dreadfully ignorant. No, I'm not. But she was exulting in his ignorance. I shall sew it on for you, my little man, she said, um, um, though he was as tall as herself. And she got out her housewife and sewed the shadow onto Peter's foot. I dare say it will hurt a little, she warned him. Oh, I shan't cry, said Peter, who was already of the opinion that he had never cried in his life. And he clenched his teeth and did not cry, and soon his shadow was behaving properly, though still a little creased. Now, did she sew it to, like, the bottom of his shoe or into his foot? Because one is okay, and one is horrifying. Hopefully it doesn't give me more details. Perhaps I should have ironed it, Wendy said thoughtfully. I don't understand. Do they not realize this is a strange thing to occur? Has that thought not broken into their tiny child minds that his shadow being separate from his physical being is a strange occurrence? I'm looking at my shadow right now. If this motherfucker separated from me in a tangible way, I would be terrified. Anyway, but Peter, boy-like, 
um, was indifferent to the appearance, and he was now jumping about in the wildest glee. Also, it's late at night and dark. Why would you care about your shadow? Anyway, alas, he had already forgotten that he owed his bliss to Wendy. He thought he had attached the shadow himself. How clever am I? He crowed rapturously. Oh, the cleverness of me. It is humiliating to confess that this purported conceit of Peter was one of his most fascinating qualities. To put it with brutal frankness, there was never a cockier boy. Oh shit, the gauntlet has been thrown. Is Peter Pan the cockiest character in all of literature? We're gonna find out. But for the moment, Wendy was shocked. You conceit, she exclaimed with frightful sarcasm. Of course I did nothing. You did a little, Peter said carelessly and continued to dance. A little, she replied with hot hair. If I am of no use, I can at least withdraw. And she sprang in the most dignified way into bed and covered her face with the blankets. To induce her to look up, up, he pretended to be going away. And when this failed, he sat on the end of the bed and tapped her gently with his foot. Wendy, he said, don't withdraw. I can't help crowing, Wendy, when I'm pleased with myself. Still, she would not look up, though she was listening eagerly. Wendy, he continued in a voice that no woman had ever been able to resist. Wendy, one girl is more use than twenty boys. Now Wendy was every inch a woman, though there was not very many inches, and she peeped out of the bedclothes. Page 41. Do you really think so, Peter? Yes, I do. I think it's perfectly sweet of you, she declared, and I'll get up again. And she sat with him on the side of the bed. She also said she would give him a kiss if he liked, but Peter did not know what she meant, and he held out his hand expectantly. Surely you know what a kiss is, she asked aghast. I shall know when you give it to me, he replied stiffly, and not to hurt his feelings, she gave him a thimble. Now, he said, shall I give you a kiss? And she replied with a slight primness, if you please. She made herself rather cheap by inclining her face toward him, but he merely dropped an acorn button, button into her hand. So she slowly returned her face to where it had been before, and said nicely that she would wear his kiss on the chain round her neck. It was lucky that she did put it on chain, for it was after, for it was afterwards to save her life. Interesting. When people in our set are introduced, it is customary for them to ask each other's age. And page forty-two. When so Wendy, who liked all, who liked who always liked to do things correctly, asked Peter how old he was. It was not a really happy question to ask him. It was like an examination paper that asked grammar, when what you want to be asked is kings of England. I don't know, he replied uneasily, but I am quite young. He really, he, he really knew nothing about it. He had merely suspicions, but he had at a venture. Wendy, I ran away the day I was born. Wendy was quite surprised, but interested. She indicated in the charming drawing-room manner, by the touch of her nightgown, that he could sit nearer her. It was because I heard father and mother, he explained in a low voice, talking about what I was to be when I became a man. He was extraordinarily agitated now. I don't ever want to be a man, he said with passion. I want always to be a little boy and to have fun. So I ran away to Kensington Gardens and lived a long, long time among the fairies. She gave him a look of the most intense admiration, and he thought it was because he had run away, but it was really because he knew, page 34, fairies. Wendy had lived with, um, had lived such a home life that to know fairies struck her as quite delightful. She poured out questions about them to his surprise, for they were rather a nuisance to him, getting in his way and so on, and indeed, he sometimes had to give them a hiding. Still, he liked them on the whole, and he told her about the beginning of fairies. You see, Wendy, when the first baby laughed, for the first time, its laugh broke into a thousand pieces. They all went skipping about, and that was the beginning of fairies. Tedious talk this, but being a stay-at-home, she liked it. And so, he went on good-naturedly, there ought to be one fairy for every boy and girl. Ought to be? Isn't there? No. You see, children now, such a... Children know such a lot now. They don't believe in fairies. And every time a child says, I don't believe in fairies, there is a fairy somewhere that falls down dead. Really? He thought they had now talked enough about fairies, and it struck him that Tinkerbell was keeping very quiet. 
I can't think where she's gone to, he said, rising. And, page 44, he called Tink by name. Wendy's heart uh, went flutter with a sudden thrill. Peter, she cried, clutching him. You don't mean to tell me there's a fairy in this room? She was here just now, he said a little impatiently. You don't hear her, do you? And they both listened. The only sound I hear, said Wendy, is like a tinkle of bells. Well, that's Tink. That's the fairy language. I think I hear her, too. Sound came from the chest of drawers, and Peter made a merry face. No, no one could ever look quite so merry as Peter, and the loveliest of gurgles was his laugh. He had his first laugh still. So wait, you're telling me that Peter Pan, even though he looks like a 12-year-old child, laughs like a baby? Jesus Christ. I don't know what it is about this, this image of Peter with his baby teeth and his baby laugh and looking like a, like a, you know, kid, I guess, 12 years old, I don't know. Um, tween, sure, but it's just like it. It's kind of a horrific image, you know. These sounds and these looks should not be coming from a twelve-year-old child. So yes, I would um I would say that it is it is quite terrifying. So, Wendy, he whispered gleefully, I do believe I shut her up in the drawer. <laughs> he let poor Tink out of the drawer, and she flew about the nursery, screaming with fury. You shouldn't say such things, Peter retorted. Of course I'm very sorry. How could you, how could I know you were in the drawer? Wendy was not listening to him. Oh, Peter, she cried. If she would only stand still and let me see her. They hardly ever stand still, he said. But for one moment, Wendy saw the romantic figure come to rest on the cuckoo clock. Oh, the lovely. Um, she cried, though Tink's face was still distorted with passion. Tink, Peter said amiably. This lady says she wishes you were her fairy. Tinkerbell answered instantly. What did she say, Peter? He had to translate. She is not very polite. She says you are a great ugly girl and that she is my fairy. He tried to argue with Tink. You know you can't be my fairy, Tink, because I am a gentleman and you are a lady. To this, Tink replied in these words, You silly ass! And disappeared into the bathroom. She is quite a common fairy, Peter explained apologetically. She is called Tinkerbell because she mends the pots and kettles. They were... Oh, Tinkerbell. I never really thought about that. I always thought it was like a play on Tinkle. Like the sound that she makes when she... You know, like it's the tinkling of a bell. So, it's called Tinkerbell because apparently she's very handy. Didn't I know that? They were together in the armchair by this time and Wendy plied him with more questions. Page 46. If you don't live in Kensington Gardens now, sometimes I still do. But where do you live mostly now? With the Lost Boys. Who are they? They are the children who fall out of their preambulatories when the nurse is looking the other way. They're not claimed in seven days. They are sent far away to Neverland to defray expenses. I'm Captain. What fun it must be. Yes, said Cunning Peter. But we are rather lonely. You see, we have no female companionship. Are none of the others girls? Oh no, girls, you know, are much too clever to fall out of their prams. This flattered Wendy immensely. I think, she said, it's perfectly lovely the way you talk about girls. John there just despises us. For a reply, Peter rose and kicked John out of bed, blankets and all, one kick. This seemed to Wendy rather forward for her first meeting. She told him with the spirit that he was not captain, page, page 47, in her house. However, John continued to sleep so placidly on the floor that she allowed him to remain there. And I know you meant to be kind, she said, relenting. So you may give me a kiss. For the moment, she had forgotten his ignorance about kisses. I thought you wanted it back, um, he said a little, um, oh, I thought you would want it back, he said a little bitterly, and he offered to return her thimble. Oh dear, said the nice one. I don't mean a kiss, I mean a thimble. Um, what's that? It's like this. She kissed him. Funny, Peter said gravely. Now shall I give you a thimble? If you wish, uh, said Wendy, keeping her head erect this time. Peter thimbled her. And almost immediately, she screeched. Um, what is it, Wendy? It was exactly, um, as if someone was pulling my hair. Oh, okay, I see, I see what's happening. That must have been Tink. I never knew her so naughty before. And indeed, Tink was darting off again using offensive language. Um, she says she will do that to you, Wendy, every time I give you a thimble. But why? Why, Tink? Again, Tink replied, you silly ass. Peter could not understand why, but Wendy understood, and she was just slightly disappointed when he admitted that he came to the nursery window not to see her, but to listen to stories. 
You see, I don't know any stories. None of the lost boys know any stories. How perfectly awful, Wendy said. Do you know, Peter asked, why swallows build in the eaves of houses? It is to listen to stories. Oh, Wendy, your mother was telling you such a lovely story. What story is that? About the prince who couldn't find the lady who wore the glass slipper. Peter, Wendy said excitedly, that was Cinderella, and he found her and lived happily ever after. Peter was so glad that he rose from the floor um, where they had been sitting and hurried to the window. Where are you going? She cried with misgiving. To tell the other boys. Don't go, Peter, she entreated. I know such a lot of stories. Those were her precise words, so there can be no denying that it was she who first tempted him. He came back, and there was a greedy look in his eye, which ought to have alarmed her, but did not. Oh, the stories I could tell to the boys, she cried. And then Peter gripped her and began to draw her to the window. Let me go, she ordered him. Wendy, do come with me and tell the other boys. Of course. She was very pleased to be asked, but she said, Oh dear, I can't. Think of mummy. Besides, I can't fly. I'll teach you. Oh, how lovely to fly. I'll teach you how to jump on the wind's back, and then away we go. Oh, she exclaimed rapturously, page 50. Wendy, Wendy, when you are sleeping in your silly bed, you might be flying about with me saying funny things to the stars. Oh, and Wendy, there are mermaids, mermaids, with tails, such long tails. Oh, cried Wendy, to see a mermaid, he had become frightfully cunning. Wendy, he said, how we should all respect you. She was wriggling her body in distress. It was quite as if she were trying to remain on the nursery floor, but he had no pity for her. Wendy, he said, the sly one, you could tuck us in at night. Oh, none of us have ever been tucked in at night. Oh, and her arms went out to him. You could don our clothes and make pockets for us. None of us have any pockets, you know. How could she resist? Of course, it's awfully fascinating, she cried. Peter, would you mind teaching John and Michael to fly? If you like, he said indifferently. And she, page 51, ran to John and Michael and shook them. Wake up, she cried. Peter Pan is coming. He's going to teach us to fly. John rubbed his eyes. Then I'll get up, he said. Of course, he was on the floor already. Hello, he said. I am up. Michael uh, was up by this time also, looking as sharp as a knife with six blades and a sob. Peter suddenly signed silence. Their faces assumed the awful craftiness of children listening for sounds from the grown-up world. All was as still as salt. Then everything was right. No, stop! Everything was wrong. Nana, who'd been barking distressfully all evening, was quiet now. It was her silence they had heard. Out with the light! Hide! Quick! cried John, taking command uh, for the only time throughout the whole adventure. Oh, well, fuck you, John, I guess. And thus, when Liza entered, holding Nana, the nursery seemed quite its old self, very dark, and you could have sworn you heard its three wicked inmates breathing angelically as they slept. They were really doing it artfully from behind the window curtains. Liza was in a bad temper, for she was mixing the Christmas puddings in the kitchen and had been drawn away from them with a raisin style on her cheek by Nana's absurd suspicions. She thought the best way of getting a little quiet was to take Nana to the nursery for a moment, but in custody, of course. There, you suspicious brute, she said, not sorry that Nana was in disgrace. They're perfectly safe, aren't they? Every one of the little angels sound asleep in their bed. Listen to that gentle breathing. Here, Michael, encouraged by success, breathed so loudly that they were nearly detected. Nana knew that kind of breathing. She tried to drag herself out of Liza's clutches, but Liza was dense. No more of it, Nana, she said sternly, pulling her out of the room. I warn you, if you bark again, I shall go straight to the master and mistress and bring them home from the party. And then, oh, won't master whip you jest. She'd tie the unhappy dog up again, but do you think Nana ceased to bark? Bring Master and Mrs. Home from party. Why, that, page 53, was just what she wanted. Do you think she cared whether she was whipped so long as her charges were safe? Unfortunately, Liza returned to her putties, and Nana, seeing that no help would come from her, strained and strained at the chain until at last she broke it. In another moment, she had burst into the dining room of 27 and flung up her paws to the heavens, her most expressive way for making communication. Mr. and Mrs. Darling knew at once that something terrible was happening in the nursery, and without a goodbye to their hostesses, they rushed into the street. But it was now ten minutes since three scoundrels had been breathing behind the curtains. And Peter Pan can do a great deal in ten minutes. We now return to the nursery. Meanwhile, the Temple of Doom, or the Legion of Doom, fuck it, who cares? Um, it's all right, John announced, emerging from his hiding places. I say, Peter, can you really fly? Instead of troubling the answer, Peter flew round the room, taking the mantelpiece on the way. How topping, said John and Michael, page 54. Excuse me. How sweet, cried Wendy. Yes, I'm sweet. Oh, I am sweet, said Peter, forgetting his manners again. 
It looked delightfully easy. And they tried first from the floor and then from the beds, but they always went down instead of up. I say, how do you do it? That's John rubbing his knees. He was quite the practical boy. You just think lovely, wonderful thoughts, Peter explained. And they lift you up into the air. He showed them again. You're so nippy at it, said John. Couldn't you do it very slowly once? Peter did it both slowly and quickly. I've got it now, Wendy, cried John, but as soon as he found um, but soon he found he had not. Not one of them could fly an inch, even though Michael was in words of two syllables and Peter did not know A from Z. Of course, I keep I keep forgetting that there's three Oh no, Peter is the his pan. It's Wendy, John, and Michael. I thought like Peter was like a third a fourth fucking darling kid, but it's not. It's, it's Peter. Of course, Peter had been trifling with him, for no one can fly unless the fairy dust has been blown on him. Fortunately, as we have mentioned, one of his hands was messy with it, and, Patriot Trap, he blew some on each of them with the most superb results. Now, just wriggle your shoulders this way, he said, and let go. They were all on their beds, and Gallant Michael let go first. He did not quite mean to let go, but he did. Immediately, he was borne across the room. I flew, he screamed while in midair. John let go and met Wendy near the bathroom. Oh, lovely, a ripping. Look at me, look at me, look at me. They were not nearly as elegant as Peter. They could not help kicking a little, and their heads were bobbing against the ceiling, but it was almost nothing so as delicious as that. Peter gave Wendy a hand at first, but had to desist. Tink was so indignant. Up, down they went, and round and round, heavenly was Wendy's world. Uh, word. I say, cried John, why shouldn't we all go out? Page 56. Of course, it was to this that Peter had been luring them. Michael was ready. He wanted to see how long it took him to do a billion miles, but Wendy hesitated. Mermaids, Peter said again. Oh, the pirates. Pirates, cried John, seizing his Sunday hat. Let us go at once. It was just at this moment that Mr. and Mrs. Darling hurried with Nana out of 27. They ran into the middle of the street to look up at the nursery window, and yes, it was still shut, but the room was ablaze with light in the most heart-gripping sight of all. They could see the sh- and shadow on the curtains, three little figures in their night attire circling round and round, but not on the floor, but in the air. Not three figures. Four. And Trumbly opened the street door, Mr. Darling would have rushed upstairs, but Mrs. Darling signed him to go softly. She even tried to make her heart go softly. Will they reach the nursery in time? If so, page 57, how delightful for them. We shall all breathe a sigh of relief, but there will be no story. On the other hand, if they are not in time, I solemnly promise that it will all come right in the end. They would have reached the nursery in time had it not been for the little stars that were watching them. Once again, the stars blew the windows open, and the smallest star of all called out, Cave, Peter! And Peter knew that there was not a moment to lose. Come, he cried imperiously, and soared out at once into the night, followed by John, Michael, and Wendy. Mr. and Mrs. Darling and Anna rushed into the nursery too late. The birds were flown. And there is a wonderful drawing here of the open window, uh, along with what appears to be a shooting star. The parents absolutely distraught, and the dog just looking mournfully out of the window. That is... That is impactful. That is a really good... That's a really good... I guess it's not a, um... A drawing. It appears to be an etching. Um... I believe is what those are called. Which is a lot more intensive. But it's... Damn, it's good. It's good stuff. Fuck <laughs> me. That, that was a chapter, huh? that'll do it for this week i wanted to thank you all very much for listening to this week's episode of the going up cast and i also wanted to take a special moment to thank our patreon supporters who are still supporting the going up cast through these dark and difficult times it means the absolute world to me thanking the patreon supporters is probably something i should have been doing this entire time on the podcast i apologize for that i'm gonna do that moving forward so thank you very much Patreon supporters, for your support. I hope you're all staying safe out there, washing your hands, wearing your masks. The state of Washington just extended the stay-at-home order for the rest of May, so at least in my neck of the woods, this won't be changing anytime soon. Um, so stay stay inside, for the love of God. I mean, this is, this is nothing to joke about. Um, but yeah, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I will see you all next week for another brand new episode. Remember, if you guys have any uh, questions or things you want to let me know, you can email me at goingupcast.gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash goingupcast or me on Instagram at goingupcast. And there will be new episodes of Eldest all this week. I think that's everything in here to let you guys know about that's going on over in my next one. So yeah, there you go. Um, Stay safe. Have a good one. And I'll see you next time.